Good morning. Good morning. I hope you are doing great this morning. Good morning. Good week. Good day. I've been hot out. It's end of July. I think August is probably going to be even hotter. Um, but um, in spite of the heat, uh, we'll think cool thoughts and uh, stay in the air conditioning and uh, hopefully be okay with that. I hope you guys are doing great. I hope your families are well and uh, your friends and neighbors and uh, everybody's doing great. Um, we've got a lot coming up here at Burlington Christian Church. Um, we served pancakes uh, yesterday to our community. Uh, our youth group does that. Our teenagers uh, offer free pancakes and sausage once a month. And uh, so we have fun with that. We've got a block party coming up this Tuesday night, community block party for uh, the neighborhood. And the police departments and the fire departments will come and we'll uh, just uh, show them how much we love them. And um, just a lot of things going on. <clears throat> hope hope uh, you're staying busy and out of trouble and uh, serving God. <clears throat> like, like that we're doing things for the kingdom. Because we're talking about walking by faith. And if we're going to walk by faith, then our life should be centered around Things that are for the kingdom, the kingdom of God. If if we're gonna if we're gonna walk by faith, we're gonna our life our life revolves around God and around the kingdom of God and around reaching people for for the Lord and helping people and being Jesus to the world. Well, we, we're talking about this topic, and um, we've said a number of things. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't walk by what we see. Faith without deeds, James said, is dead. We said this life, Paul said, this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Colossians says that faith clothes itself in Jesus. <clears throat> and we said that Galatians chapter 5, uh, a couple weeks ago, walking by faith is walking by the Spirit. You don't have the Spirit in your, if you've never invited the Holy Spirit into your life, then it's impossible for you to walk by faith. You can know religious things, you can know Bible things, but you cannot really be in tune with the Father if the Holy Spirit has not come to live in your life. And if you've never given your life to Christ in this biblical way, surrendered to him, been immersed into Jesus as an adult, you made the decision to give your life to Christ. If you've never done that, call me. I will come anywhere, anytime that I can, and we will baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit can come in and make his home in you. I'm serious about that. That is huge. You must be born again as an adult. You need to be the one to make the decision, not somebody else, not your parents. Last week we said, <clears throat> in light of camp and our theme at camp, that when we're walking by faith, we are going to take a stand. And when we take a stand, nothing, nothing will move you. Nothing will move you. Let nothing move you when you take your stand in faith on the rock of who Christ is. Well, today, walking by faith means, <clears throat> walking by faith means waiting on the Lord. If we are going to walk by faith, we've got to get our timing right with his. 
It's not about what we want. It's not about what I see. It's not about what I, my logic thinks, my intellect, my senses, my gut feel. None of that matters. My emotions don't matter. What matters is that the Lord in his timing is working in my life. And I physically, as a human being, as a flesh person, I am lining myself up with the Lord's timing and I am waiting on the Lord. In Psalm chapter 27, this is where we're going to be today, Psalm 27. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Psalm 27. We're going to look at the entire chapter today and just kind of dig into it on this thought of waiting on the Lord. Here's what David says in Psalm 27, verse 14, the very last verse of the Psalm. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Now, this is a powerful passage. This is a powerful chapter, and we're going to dig into it. But David, David writes this psalm at a very young age. It's early in his life. This is before he's King David. This is before he has been anointed to take the throne. This is David at a very young age. Many believe this is David while he is on the run from Saul because Saul is king. David has been chosen by God to be king. And Saul is a jealous man. <clears throat> and so out of Saul hounding David, chasing David, and tracking David, Saul really wants David gone. He wants David out of the way. And you can hear that in this psalm when we get into it. And so young David, young David the shepherd boy, probably in his teens, is on the run. He is in survival mode. His life is being threatened by the king of Israel. Now, our lives have never been threatened like that, but we know what it means to be on the run. We know what it means to have many things coming at us at once. And we tend to crumble, you know. We get, you know, we might have like a dozen things going on in our life at any given time, maybe even more but significant things, maybe a half a dozen to a dozen things, family, friends, work, you know, vehicles, you know, things that matter, that, that are part of our operating system of the world, of our lives. And so we probably got six to a dozen things going on at any given time in our life. And, and once in a while, two or three of those might get out of whack and we've got to deal with them. And sometimes that throws us off. Remember we talked about let nothing move you. Well, sometimes three or four of those things out of whack at the same time messes us up. It gets us all depressed. It gets us all down, man, man. Why is my life falling apart when it's really just a couple things that are going wrong? But David, David, he's got the king of Israel like on his tail trying to do away with him. He's being threatened. And here's the cool thing is David's chief desire, as we're going to read through this, is to dwell in the house of the Lord and worship him. That's, that's David's like theme for his life. That's his greatest desire is to, to, to dwell in the house of the Lord. And his joy, his joy is to meditate on the word of God. In the midst of all this, and while, and all the while, he is battling uh, enemies that are coming against him from every side. King Saul and all of his, uh, like, his crony army uh, guys are all after David. You could almost title this chapter, 
Worship in the midst of warfare. Because that's what's going on here in David's life. Worship, David's heart wants to be about worshiping God, but all the while he is in the middle of war. Personal attack on himself. David, David is learning to wait on the Lord. David, in the midst of all of the heat and the battle, and, and being a young man and an older person coming after him, a, the king of Israel and his mighty army. I mean, most people would fall apart. Most people would run and never come back or crumble or, or, or take their own lives or do something crazy. But David, David is learning that in the midst of this attack, the best thing that he can do, and this is true for all of us, the best thing that he can do is get his mind and his heart on God. That's powerful. That's maturity. That's what makes David stand head and shoulders over everyone else. It isn't just because he's tall and, and a, a, a good-looking young man. It's because his heart and his mind knows where to focus its attention. And so this psalm is full of insight. It's full of waiting. It's full of um, while you wait. We could, uh, we could gain some good insight, and we're going to, about while you wait, while you're waiting on the Lord, what we should do while we're waiting. And so let's uh, note a few things about this chapter. Okay, here we go. First of all, uh, <clears throat> David knows, first thing that we see in here about David is David knows who he's waiting for. David understands who it is that he is waiting for. His faith, David's faith, has an object. It has an object. It's not just wishful thinking. His faith is focused on a solid person, on a solid power, on a solid being, God. It has an object. His faith has an object. It's not just like, I hope things work out or I wish things work out or just a stab in the dark. That is not how David is approaching his life. He knows. He knows who he trusts in. He knows who he is waiting on. And he refers to his rescuer because he's in the midst of being attacked. He refers to his rescuer like this. Look at verse 1. The Lord, the Lord, there it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so David refers to God, to the Lord in three different terms. And I've underlined them so we can clearly see these words. The first word, and these are powerful ways that he refers to the Lord. The first one is light. The Lord is my light. Now, light in the Old Testament, we don't see a lot about God being light in the Old Testament. There are some references to light and, and God. But in the New Testament, we see light all over the place. We see Jesus as the light of the world, right? We see that he was, Jesus was the light of men. We see that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. 
And so what's happening here with David in the Old Testament is David, David is looking forward. He's looking forward in a very prophetic way, and he takes a term used for the coming Messiah, the Jesus that would come one day in the future and would be the light of the world. David is zooming in on the fact that Jesus, God, is light. And David looks forward to this coming Christ. And he describes to and he describes it to who is uh the, the, this Christ who is his light is the one that he is placing his trust in. It's a prophetic statement pointing forward about the Messiah and David in the Old Testament. His faith is in the one that is coming. That is a powerful truth for us today. The Lord is my light. The second word he uses is the word salvation. He says salvation, Yeshua. It's the Hebrew word for Jesus. Jesus. Again, another New Testament uh, pointing, an uh, arrow pointing toward the New Testament. Another New Testament term used by uh, someone in the Old Testament years and years prior. Remember at the birth of Jesus, angel approaches Joseph. And the angel says to Joseph, you will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people. Jesus is salvation. Jesus would come and save his people from their sins. David, in the Old Testament, again, is looking forward to the coming Messiah. What the Hebrew writer uh, referred to in the, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, when the, the writer is talking about all these men and women of faith who gave their life to God, who trusted God to the very point of death, they, pro, they professed that Jesus would, or the Messiah would come one day, that God would send a savior to the world. Well, the scripture in that passage, chapter 11 says, they welcomed them from a distance. They welcomed them from a distance. So the Old Testament people, in pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah and the promises about the Messiah, those Old Testament people were welcoming those promises that God was making to them about something that would happen way after their lifetime, that especially that the Messiah would come. And they welcomed them from a distance. That's what David is doing. He is using terms that are in the future. God is light. God is salvation. The one who is salvation and hope is the one that David is going to place his trust in. It's another prophetic word. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. And this truth is super important for us. Like whatever we're going through in this world, here's what the example is that David gives us. David's going to, He's going to hook his hitch up to what is coming, that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to connect himself to something out there in the future, something that hasn't happened yet, that the coming Messiah is coming, and David is going to connect himself to a powerful truth about the future. And that's what needs to get us through, that when we're facing these giants in our life, when things start to collapse and our world starts to fall apart and we don't know where to turn or what to do, 
We connect ourselves again. We remember God is going to send his son Jesus again. And we are going to trust in that. We are going to put our hope and our trust in the second coming of Christ. And that is going to pull us through whatever it is we're going to. If we get our minds stuck in the present, if we get stuck in our troubles and trials, we will slowly go down like, a, like the flushing of a toilet. But if we get our eyes on what is to come, we lift our eyes to the one who is going to send his son, God will pull us out. He'll pull us out because our head and our mind and our eyes and our focus will be on the right thing. The third word that he uses is stronghold. He says, the Lord is my stronghold. And what he's saying is the Lord is the strength of my life. See it? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. It means he is my fortress. He is my security. He is my rock. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, the scripture says, the name of the Lord is a stronghold or is a fortress or is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. That's what God is to us. He is our stronghold. And David says, like, the Lord is my stronghold. Whom shall I fear? Like, who there's no one I should be afraid of because I am, I am within the power and the safety and the strength and the light and the salvation and the stronghold of the Lord. There isn't anyone who could touch me there. Whom shall I fear? No one can stand toe to toe with God. God has all the power. He has resurrection power. And there is no one or nothing that can move us if we are in the presence of the Lord. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can snatch us from his hand. There is nothing to fear. And as we read through this, we realize that David is, David is not just sharing this truth with the world for us to read today. But I, it almost seems as you read through the chapter, <clears throat> David is trying to remind himself that even though I'm being attacked and pursued by evil people, my strength is in the Lord. My power is in the Lord. My salvation is in the Lord. He is the light to me. And he's, I think he's almost like reminding himself to get his own head back on God, where it should be in the midst of, of tough times. See, there is great power and there is great strength in knowing who you are waiting on. If you don't know who you're waiting on, if you're just wandering through life without any purpose, without God in your life, then you are being pulled by anything and everything that might show up in your life or grab your attention in some way. You are going in all kinds of different directions and that is going to be a frustrating life. But when God is God and all of your energy and your focus is on what he wants in your life, there is great power in knowing he is the one I answer to, he's the one I'm looking for, he's the one I'm waiting on, and he's the one that's gonna save me in the end. He is my light, he is my salvation, he is my stronghold. You are not just waiting. When we live in this earth under God's power and his presence, we are not just twiddling our thumbs, we're not just passing time, we're not just wasting days and hours away. We are waiting 
on the Lord. We are waiting on the Lord to do something. We are waiting on the one who is the light of the world, who is salvation to our soul and our fortress and a stronghold. And in due time, in due time, when it's his timing is ready, he will move. He will move. And we, if we're waiting on him, seeking him, doing the things in, chapter, in this chapter 27 that David is doing, when God moves, we will know it. We will see it even in the midst of trouble. Even in the midst of great trouble, David is waiting on the Lord. Look at verses 2 and 3. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. That is great faith. That God is going to protect me and he's going to fight the battle for me if I'm trusting in him. He's going to show me what to do and where he doesn't need me to do anything, he'll do it. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be, what a powerful word, confident. I will be confident. Guys, you hear this? In the face of trouble, in the face of personal attack, in the face of our adversary, in the face of, of hardship, David says, I will not fear my oppressors. I will not be afraid of them. Even though they want me dead, he says the word, they want to devour me. That's a like cannibalistic. They want me so dead that they eat me like I am gone from the planet. That's how, that's how badly they want me gone, devour me. And David says, yet, even in the midst of this, I am confident. I have security. I have safety. I have assurance that the one in whom I am waiting on is the only one who can save me, who can rescue me. He alone is the Lord. David says, David is saying to us, whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear in this world? There isn't anyone except one. I will fear the Lord. I will learn to fear the Lord. He is the only one. Every other power has to answer to God. Every other system will answer to God. Every person, every soul, every demon, every devil is going to have to answer to God. So who should I fear? Not everything under God. I will fear the Lord. I will fear the one who has power and authority over everything on the planet and in the universe and in eternity. That's who I will fear while I'm waiting on the Lord. Secondly, second thing is this, uh, that we see in the psalm as we kind of march on through it, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, David knows who he's waiting on, but secondly, waiting on the Lord is birthed in the heart. It's birthed in our heart, not just in emotion. It's not birthed in our mind necessarily. It might be a thought that we have, but it has to come from here. It has to come from deep within us. There has to be like conviction and passion and desire that moves us powerfully. And that's from the heart. That's from the deep region of our soul. The real who we are. 
It's got to come from that inner person in us. It can't come from the outer person, the flesh person, because it will not last. Like, like you might have been in a worship services or seen them on uh, YouTube or TV where there's a lot of manipulating going on. I can't stand it. I can't stand the manipulation that goes on to try to get people to make decisions for Christ. They manipulate them. They pour guilt on them. They pour shame on them so that they are broken down and they make an emotional decision about God that doesn't last because it's all on emotion. That's not what God is after. God is after the very core of who you are. And waiting on the Lord has got to come from the innermost part of your being. It's got to come from your heart. Look what, look what David says, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and set me on high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround meet his sacrifice tent, who surround meet his sacrifice tent. I will sacrifice with joy, shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Let me see what that word is right there. Verse six, then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So that word, uh, that word meat should not be in there. Enemies who surround me his, or surround his sacred tent. So David is saying like, even though I'm surrounded by evil and surrounded by people who want me gone, David's cry here is I will seek the Lord. I will cry out to the Lord in the midst of this evil attack. And note what David asks for. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask God, one thing I ask from the Lord. He doesn't ask for kingdoms. He doesn't ask for wealth. What David asks for is the thing that you and I should ask for more than anything in this world, and that is the presence of the Lord in our life that we would have the presence of God in our life. David knows that having God's presence in his life is everything. Because the, the, the Lord in our life and his powerful presence trumps everything else that could ever happen to us, that will ever come our way. Just check it out. In verse 4, his cry. This is his cry. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That I may gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That I can seek him in his temple. David's cry is that I want to be in the presence of God. <clears throat> Verses 5 and 6. The blessings of God's presence. Here it is. That when I'm in his presence, I am safe there in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter. He will set me on a rock on high. So that's what God will do when we're in the presence of God. He will, he will go to work in our life. He will protect us. And then he says, verse 6, my head will be exalted. You will lift me up and my heart will burst, will burst with song. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David's cry is, David's cry is from his heart. 
And it's, God, I want to be in your presence, God. Even though all the crap in this world is, is coming against me, God, I want to be in your presence. Even in the midst of the chaos, I can have peace and joy and grace and sing shouts of joy to the Lord, even while everything around me crumbles. There is amazing power in that. Think about that. That no matter what's going on around us, that when we have God in our life and we're crying out for his presence, we can have perfect peace. We can worship in the midst of the war. And that's what we should learn to do in this world that we live in now. To be able to have this kind of strength and confidence and assurance and peace and joy in God while the world around us is in great turmoil. And we're not going to look at the turmoil too much. We're going to know it's there. We're going to be aware of it. Yes, we are. Because we need to reach people that are there. We need to have a, a compassion and, and reach out and love people who are in the chaos and, and don't have the Lord. But we personally, in the depths of our hearts, from our heart, we are going to worship the Lord. And guess what, guys? It is not a formula. There's no formula here that David's given us in this chapter. Like, do these seven things and everything will be right between you and God. That's not what he's talking about. It's not some religious uh, ceremonial ritual either. You light these candles, say these prayers, and you'll be fine with God. That is not what is going on here. It's honest cries from the heart of David to God while he is waiting on the Lord to be the one to rescue him. His eyes are on the only one that matters. See, God's design for us is to worship him. And worship should be like all of us. He wants our whole being to be involved in worship. Like it should be a full sensory experience of worship with God. Multi-sensory. Check it out. Eyes that see his beauty. Hands that touch the sacrifice. This is how God set it up in the Old Testament. Hands that touch the sacrifice. The burnt offerings that they would smell as they were being offered back to God. They would sing songs of praise and play instruments with their hands and their feet would dance before the Lord and that they would taste the celebrations and the feasts that the Lord is good. Full sensory worship. Full sensory focus on God. David's desire is a full sensory experience with God. And so he cries out for the presence of God. God, I need your presence in my life. He also cries out for complete dependence on God. Do you see that? It's a, it's a coming clean with the Lord. Not only do I want to be in your presence, but God, I want, to, I want to be completely dependent on you. Remove everything else from my, my, my eyes and my heart. Clean the path out, God. Help me to focus and zoom in just on you. Admitting, I need to learn to admit that I do not have it all together. I don't have it. I need to stop acting as if I do. Right? Stop acting like you got your whole world together when you know you don't. Be honest with God. We are dependent on him. He is the Lord. You want to walk by faith? You want to walk by faith? This is what you do while you're waiting. You know, I might be able to tie my shoes. I might be able to do a few things on the planet, but I am unable. I am completely unable and powerless to do anything of eternal significance. I cannot change one thing in the spirit realm. 
in and of myself. You know, in the Beatitudes in uh, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are those, you know, those statements. It can, all of them could be summed up in this way. Blessed are those <clears throat> who understand that they are in desperate need for God. They could all be summed up in that one way. Blessed are those who understand that they are in desperate need for God. Verses 7 to 10, look what David says. David cries, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Lord, uh, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You see this cry of David from his heart. This is from his heart. This is not just some rehearsed thing or some, some, some reading he got from somebody. This is David crying out from his heart trying to even convince maybe himself, his own mind, his own flesh, that he needs God, and God has always been his helper. David is desperate. You can hear it in his words. His enemies are after him. He knows that he is not perfect. He knows that the battle is bigger than he is. He has nowhere else to turn. He is not going to seek help from powerful nations or surrounding kingdoms or his handy little slingshot. He cries out to the Lord, the only one, the only one who can do anything about his situation is God. And so while David is waiting, he acknowledges who his rescue is, who he's waiting for. Secondly, he cries out to the Lord from his heart. And finally, the last thing I want to share with you is this. While he's waiting, while David is waiting, while we are waiting, his desire is to know the ways of the Lord. That's pretty cool, isn't it? He knows who he's waiting on. Do you know who you're waiting on? He cries out to the Lord for help from his heart. It's coming from his heart. God, help me. Deep from within who I am, God, I need you. I am desperate for you. And the third thing is, his desire is to know the ways of God. To know the ways of the word that he might, he might walk in them. Teach me, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So in the midst of those who oppress him, those attacking his character with malicious accusations, David says two really important things, and I've underlined them. The first thing he says is this, Lord, Lord, teach me. Lord, teach me your way. The battle is crazy. It's confusing. It's intense. It's got me pulled in a million different directions. God, lead my feet on the straight and narrow path. Help me to walk in your ways, God, on your path, in your ways, in your truth. Help me to keep my mind on you, God, my heart on you. I'll wait. And while I'm waiting, while I'm waiting, while I'm trusting in God, I will I will cry out to God, God, teach me. This is a disciple of Jesus. 
This is what a, a disciple, a follower of Christ does. In every and any circumstance, our cry is, God, teach me. God, teach me through this. Everything is a learning experience. God, teach me. What a great prayer. God, teach me. Not, oh, it's too much. Not, oh, I'm going to blame other things and people for my situation. No, no. God, teach me. Teach me in the midst of the battle. Teach me in the midst of the challenge. Teach me what you want me to know. That is powerful. That is so powerful. The second thing is my confidence. My confidence is in, and he gives us two things. He says, my confidence is in the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of God is in, <laughs> is in, uh, is in view of, of God's past record, right? I can trust God today because of what he's done yesterday. God, God's amazing track record is spotless. He always shows up. Maybe not when we want, but when he knows he needs to, he'll show up. He saved me before. He will save me again. David now, in this, at this time, David's not king. He hasn't been anointed to be the king of Israel yet. He's just a young boy still probably coming out of that shepherd phase of his life. Goliath probably hasn't happened yet with the slingshot. Perhaps David is thinking about his shepherding days when God rescued him. Like the attacks of the lions and the bears. The, 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 the practicing for hours on end with the slingshot. The fighting off of wild beasts so they didn't eat the sheep. David remembers that God was with me then. God speared me in the face of the beasts. He will spear me in the face of men. That's God's, that's David's hope. It's in God. He says, in the land of the living. I love that, right? I, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Most likely David is referring to in the land that those are still alive and breathing and living on the earth. Most likely. He's, he's as opposed to those who are in the land of the dead or Sheol, like the grave. Could be a reference to heaven, the land of the living where there is no death where people don't die, the land of the living. It could be that, but either way, the place and among the people, this is where David wants to be, and the place and among the people that God is still moving and still working. The land of the living, where God's presence is still at work. That's where David wants to be. This is where my confidence is, David says, in God's goodness and where God is at work, his presence and his goodness. David's encouragement to you and me today is simply this. Wait, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. And while we live among the living on this planet as we still have breath and heartbeat that God gives us every day. Praise the Lord, because every day is a gift from God. As we walk on this planet and as we strive to walk by faith on the planet, we will do so as we wait on the Lord. We will wait on the Lord throughout our lives, every step of the way. Even when it's confusing and the attacks are coming against us, we will learn to wait on the Lord. And while we wait, we will trust. We will trust our rescuer. We know in whom we are waiting for. We know the Lord. He is the Lord. He is God. 
We are waiting on him. We will cry out to the Lord from our hearts, God, we need you. We are dependent on you. And we will seek his ways. Lord, teach me. In every circumstance, teach me. Because that's what we do. This is what we do when we walk by faith. When we walk by faith, we are waiting on the Lord. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Go out there, walk by faith, and wait on the Lord and see his goodness, see his grace, see his mercy, see his powerful hand at work. Just wait on the Lord. Trust him. His timing is perfect. Ours, ours is all jacked up. Trust and wait. God bless you. Have a good week.